Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. Our episode today is from our series, Happy Days. Does worshiping God bring joy to your life? Is Sunday morning a struggle, or is it the highlight of your week? In this series, Happy Days, we will walk through the letter to the Philippians and discover the wonderful gift of joy which God has placed in all those who love Him. One of the great American actors of our time is a guy by the name of Tom Hanks. I just love Tom Hanks movies, and and I don't know if you've seen any of them or not, but uh, my favorite Tom Hanks movie is kind of one that's a little obscure. Now, I know a lot of people might not think this one. The one that I like the most of all Tom Hanks movies is the movie called That Thing You Do. How many of you have seen that movie, That Thing You Do? Okay, a few people. For those of you who don't remember That Thing You Do, it was actually not only starred Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks actually wrote it and directed it as well. And the story was about a group of friends from Pennsylvania who had a band. And they would sing songs together and have a lot of fun. And and one of their songs actually became very popular. And and they actually got it on the radio. They got to tour around. And the name of the band was called The Wonders. And the entire movie was based on the premise of what we call in our culture the one-hit wonders. You know what I'm talking about? Those groups that come along and they have that one song and it's always on the radio. It's great. And then they completely disappear and you never hear from them again. And this movie was based on that. And, and these four young men, they rose up and they were the top of the charts. They got to be on TV. They were all, all the rage. And then the problem came, as all one-hit wonders do, there was no other second song. <laughs> And the band completely fell apart, and the movie talked about that. One of the reasons why I love that movie, it's a great movie if you haven't seen it, but here's the thing. The song, Tom Hanks wrote this movie, like I said. He wrote a song called That Thing You Do for this movie, and that was the song that in the movie, remember, in the movie became the one-hit wonder. The really ironic thing, and talk about life imitating art, imitating life, that song actually became a pop hit. It actually became one of the number one songs. Think about that. Think of the irony of this. Tom Hanks writes this song thinking, I'm going to write the worst possible song to be a one-hit wonder and to make fun of one-hit wonders in the movie, and it actually becomes a one-hit wonder for the band. Isn't that crazy, church? Now, why am I talking about all this stuff, and why am I talking about one-hit wonders? I'm going to say like this, church. I've been around the church my entire life, and if I can just be honest with you, I've seen a lot of one-hit wonders in the church. People who come to Jesus Christ and their lives are completely changed. And they're so full of church and they want to make that their life. And they're committed to Christ and they're excited and they want to do all these great things. And they do for a little while. Then all of a sudden, something happens. And they disappear. And sometimes you never see or hear from them again. And you think, wow, what what was that? And it's just like in music bands, the same thing happens, where you'll get this great emotion and this great feeling, and you're all on fire for Jesus, and then it just completely goes away. And, and, and church, this is personal for me, because like I said, I, I think of people that I had in my life. In fact, this uh, last month, I was actually able to connect with a friend of mine, somebody I grew up with, somebody I've known literally my entire life. And when we were in high school, this person was on fire for Jesus. We were committed to our church, committed to our youth group. We went on the camps together, did all the stuff that you do in high school youth group. And I was reconnecting. I hadn't spoken to this person in probably 10, 15 years. Catching up and and sharing with them what God's done in my life and what I'm doing now. And shared with him about you guys and and here in Yankton. And, And this is what he said to me. He said, you know, that's something that's completely foreign to my world right now. And I just broke my heart to hear that. 
Because I'm like, how many people do we know are one-hit wonders? They, they have that moment, they have that feeling, and then all of a sudden it just completely goes away. How does that happen, church? Why is that the case? And so today, we're going to talk about that. And again, if you're a guest, if you're watching us online, welcome. We're so glad that you're joining us here today. And if you're listening to the podcast too as well, we've been in a series called Happy Days. We've been walking through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And you've been hearing me say this, but the key word throughout this series is the word joy. Is the word joy. And what, what we want to understand is how do we maintain our faith? How, how do we avoid becoming a one-hit wonder? And, and I'm going to give you the punchline right out the bat, church. We have to maintain our joy. Because you see, I've seen a direct correlation. When your joy goes away, so does your faith. And so how do we maintain our joy? So if you got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and go to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to go through chapter 3 today. Paul's going to talk about how we maintain our joy through chapter 3. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Pastor, we're going to cover an entire chapter in one, one sermon. Yes, I hope you packed a lunch, okay? <laughs> no, just kidding. All right, but, but here's the thing. Think about Philippians. We've been talking about this. It's four chapters long. One, two, three, four. Paul basically dedicates all of chapter 3 to this one point. That's why we're going to focus on it this one week, because it's the one key for maintaining our joy. And you find it right in chapter 3, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard over you. Over 18 times in this short little letter, Paul talks about or references joy and rejoicing. And here he writes it again. And guess what? In chapter 4, he's going to write it again two more times. Rejoicing. But it's that word that he puts in there. It's a safeguard over you. He's saying the reason why I keep talking about joy, the reason why I keep coming back to this is because I want it to be a safety net in your faith that you can maintain your joy. Because Paul understands what, what all of us do. Sometimes in life, our joy can go away, can't it? Sometimes we face trials. Sometimes we face struggles. Sometimes we face circumstances that are beyond our control. And a lot of times, and our joy is gone, our faith will follow. And we follow that path of being a one-hit wonder in our faith. So Paul says, we want to maintain this. So how do we do this? If you got your note sheets, I want you to take them out. Again, on the back of this, this is always blank. It's blank for a reason because we want you to write on it. You're going to remember 30% of what I said, and tomorrow you remember half of that. So at best case, you're going to get 15% of what I say today, okay? That's why we write this down, so we can remember this and keep this going. But, but here's, we're going to give you three things. Paul's going to give us three things on how we can maintain our joy. How do we avoid becoming a one-hit wonder? We want to maintain our joy. Okay, Paul, how do we maintain our joy? Here's the first one. Live by grace. Live by grace. And if I can just add to that, not legalism. Legalism is a big word that we talk about in the church a lot of times. And basically, if I can give you a definition of legalism, legalism means when I substitute rules for a relationship. See, Jesus didn't come to give us rules to follow. He's not a teacher. He's not a, a, a boss. He's not a principal that has this list of rules. And if I follow this list of rules, then I'm okay. That's not what Jesus came to do. See, the problem with rules is a lot of times we focus on what I need to do. See, if I do this, if I do this and I don't do that, then I'm okay. 
church, that's what's called legalism. Can I give you a couple examples of what legalism is? This happens in the church all the time. And it breaks my heart, and I think it breaks the heart of God. Here's one thing that's, that's a legalism that, that I've heard before. I've heard people say stuff like, you can only read the King James translation of the Bible. Now, if you're not familiar with what that statement means, the Bible, as we know, was not written in English. Okay? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek. There's a lot of different translations of the Bible. And sometimes we call them versions or whatever else. One of the oldest English translations is the King James Version. How many of you have ever read or seen a King James Bible? How many? Okay, yeah. See, now, I'm going to say this. I'm not anti-King James. Every Sunday, we say the Lord's Prayer, don't we? You know what translation that is? The King James Translation. Okay, so, so, so please hear this. But I've heard people say, well, you can only read the King James Translation. Well, let me back up for a second. I'm going to help you with that. If you hear somebody say that, I love them, but they're missing something. There's two things they need to know. First of all, the King James is not the most accurate translation. King James was actually translated to English from Latin, which was translated from Greek. So it's a translation of a translation. Now, if that's too heady for you, I'm going to make it real practical for you. If you've read the King James, which many of you said you have, it's kind of hard to understand, isn't it? We don't talk that way anymore, do we? It's like Shakespeare, right? I love Shakespeare, but I have to read it and go, wait, I don't quite understand it. That's why I don't use it. Now, again, I'm not anti-King James, but hear what I'm saying. If you hear somebody say, you can only read the Bible if it's King James, just put up the red flag and go, that's legalism. I got a couple more. Here's one. In church, you can only sing the hymns. You can only sing the hymns. You can't sing any secular music in church, right? How many of you heard that before, right? That's legalism. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The funny thing about that statement is a lot of the old hymns were actually old drinking songs they had in the bar, and they'd take them to church and they change the words to praise Jesus with it. See, that's why it's legalism. Anytime your to-do list becomes greater than your relationships, that's a problem. Here's one that probably 30 years ago was a lot bigger than it is today. But I grew up in that era, so maybe you guys did too as well. When you come to church, you need to wear a suit and tie. You need to look your best for Jesus. How many of you grew up in church like that? Okay, I give you a few people. It's legalism. Now, I think it's changed a little bit. I think it's flipped. But but now I'm going to flip it on you for a second. What if I came out here next Sunday and I was wearing a suit? (laughs) You guys would be like, what's going on with that, right? And you might even start passing some judgment on me. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to do that, okay? Now, I have a suit. You'll see it at your funeral, but you won't see it because you'll be in the (laughs) casket, all right? That's usually when I bring out the suit. But, but, But I'm just saying, how quick is it that we fall into these little legalism traps? What church is, what church isn't. How we follow Christ, how we don't. And if I could just sum it up, church, legalism is when I focus on what I need to do rather than what Christ has already done. If you remember what my Jesus said on the cross, he said, it is finished. He completed it all. There's nothing that we can to do because it's already been to done. And legalism was such a problem way back even in the first century. Look at what Paul writes in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Those are pretty strong words, church. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now I want to pause there before we go on. So we're going to talk about a concept called circumcision. And again, anytime we teach God's word, we have to stop and explain everything to make sure everybody in the room and everybody watching online maybe is on the same page. If you're not familiar with what circumcision is, it was a covenant God gave to Abraham. God chose Abraham from all the people. He said, I'm going to make you a chosen nation. And the sign of the covenant that I'm going to give you is all your males right now, no matter what age they are, 
are going to get circumcised. And then from here on out, every time a baby boy is born on the eighth day, you are going to circumcise him. And that's going to be our symbol of our covenant. Now, I'm going to talk to my brothers for a second, okay? Just all my brothers in the room. Can I just say, really, God? <laughs> like, you could come up with something different. Like, why is that the thing that you're like, yes, we want it? I just, I'm just saying, I, can I get an amen from some of my brothers? Amen? Okay, okay. I'm just saying, like, I want you to think about it. I struggled with that for a while. But, but here's why. And I don't want you to miss this. Why God said that. First of all, that's a pretty big commitment, isn't it? If I'm going to sign up for something, and what's, what's the entry fee? What do I got to do to get in? Well, you got to be like, boy, you really got to be committed to do that, amen? Okay? But, but here's the other reason I want you to understand why circumcision was a big deal. And don't miss this. How could you prove to somebody that you were circumcised? It's only one way. Right? Now, I'm not trying to be gross. Think about it for a second. Every time you get on an airplane, what do you got to do? You got to show them your, your driver's license, right? You got to prove you are who you are. We carry a photo ID around with us. They didn't have that back then. Guess what they had to do? <laughs> now, it's pretty humiliating, isn't it? But, but, but think about this. It was a sign of a commitment. It's saying, hey, this is proof that I belong to God and who I am. That's why God instituted circumcision, and that's why it was such a big deal back then. Now, I'm going to fast forward to Jesus. Remember what I just got done saying? Is it what I to do or what Jesus already did? Jesus is done. He says it's finished. There were some in the first century who I think maybe had the right intentions. They said, you know what? This thing is something that we've done. It's a tradition. It's who we are. It's really something we should maintain. And this is what I love. If you read about it in the book of Acts, the church really struggled with this. Because they said, hey, is this something that we really still need to do? Or is it already that Jesus took care of it? And, and, and the early apostles, and I agree with them 100%, said, no, we don't need to do it. That was a sign for the Jewish people. Yes, was it important? Absolutely. But now, because of what Christ has done, we don't need to be stuck by that anymore. We don't need to force these people who are converting to Christianity to do this thing because then we're putting these rules up and we're making it legal. And so much of Paul's writing in other letters, he covers this topic very well. This is really where he talks about, and again, I'm just going to say it again, it's a relationship, not rules. It's not what you can do to earn Christ's love, it's what Christ has already done for you. Think about it in a modern concept of a parent and a child. And if you're a parent in the room, you understand where I'm going with this. If you have a child, there's nothing they can do to ever earn your love. Just because of who they are, because of the fact that they're your child, you are going to give them love. And as soon as you start putting conditions on the love and saying, I would love you if you would, then it's not love anymore. Now, now you've just put conditions on that. And God doesn't put conditions on his love for us. So church, neither should we. It's not about legalism. If you want to maintain your joy, you need to live by grace, not by legalism. Because again, the focus should never be on what I need to do. My focus is always on what Christ has already done. We need to live by grace. See, legalism, if you, if you fall in the trap of legal, legalism, it'll suck the joy right out of your life and right out of your relationship. There's not a list we need to follow. There's a savior we need to follow. Here's the second one. If you want to maintain your joy, here's the second one Paul gives us. We need to let go of my pride. We need to let go of our pride. One of the things that we really like in our culture, and it's kind of weird. Sometimes we do some things that are weird. One of the things that we do that's kind of weird is we really like ranking systems. Think about it. Like, 
top 10 movies of all time, top 10 westerns of all time, the Billboard Top 100 songs, right? The Fortune 500 companies. Sports are full of these ranking systems, aren't they? If you're sports fans, you understand. One of the biggest things they talk about in sports right now is called the GOAT. Now, and they're not talking about like, that used to be a bad thing, right? But now they talk about GOAT meaning greatest of all time, right? GOAT. So that's what they say. We're always looking for these ranking systems and where we rank. And the reason why we do that is because we want to see who's the best. We want to compare. And many of my friends will have arguments about maybe a basketball player. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Well, in my book, Michael Jordan. You start at Michael Jordan and you work your way. It's like, you can't compare Jordan to anybody else. He's the greatest of all time. You start with Jordan, you take him off the table, and then you start your ranking system. That's my preference, right? Now, some of you might disagree. Some of you might argue. You're wrong. I love you. Um, but I, I just say it. That's what we do. But a lot of the problem with our ranking systems is what I just said. It's personal preference. What I think and what I want. And, and church, I just want to help you with something. We have a ranking system in the church too, don't we? We like to look around and we like to compare ourselves. In, in the church, though, this is how it works. And again, I can say this because I've done it. I'm guilty of it. I've been in church my whole life. I see it all the time. In church, our ranking system is we want to be in the middle. <laughs> we, there's people over here like, they're super spiritual, man. They're like going to church all the time. They're, sharing, they're like way super spiritual. I'm not that. But there's these people over here. There's like all these horrible people. They do all these awful things. I'm better than them. See, I'm, I'm kind of right in the middle. We do that, don't we, right? That's what we like to do. We like to rank ourselves in, in the church. And why do we do that? Because we want to feel better about ourselves. We want to say, it's okay that I still screw up because I'm never going to be as good as them. And, and you know what? Even though I might screw up, I'm still not as bad as these guys. See, I can rank myself. What's that called? It's called pride. So pride is why we developed this ranking system because we want to feel good about ourselves. And can I help you with something, church? That's exhausting. If you want to lose your joy, constantly compare yourself to everybody around you in their faith. And Paul's saying we got to let go of this. And, and Paul even recognizes this in verse 4. Look at what he says. Though I have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then Paul goes on for the next two verses, and he lists his reasons for his confidence in the flesh. And I will just say this. If, if you don't understand that passage, those are some pretty impressive things Paul lists off. Paul lists off his social status. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's a social status for him. Paul talks about his heritage. He said, I was born the tribe of Benjamin, which is one of the powerful tribes in Israel. And then he talks about how I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He talks about his race. Now, those three things are very interesting because did Paul have any control over those three things? No, that's just where he was born, right? It'd be the same equivalent if I stood here today in the United States of America and I said, I am a white, middle-class male Protestant, okay? I didn't control most of that stuff. That was just kind of how I was where I was born. That's what Paul's saying, though. He, Paul was saying, I'm one of the top-ranked people by my social status, by my heritage, and by my race. But Paul goes on, and he talks about being the Pharisee of Pharisees. That's his education. Paul was highly educated. Paul was highly successful. He talked about persecuting the church. Paul had a great reputation. He said, my reputation was faultless when it comes to law. Now, when you read this passage, if you get a little little uncomfortable with that, if it feels a little weird that Paul is basically bragging about all these things that are good about him, that's what he wanted. He wanted you to think that because he's going to flip it on you. He did it to the Philippians. He's going to do it again. Because then in verse 7, he takes a turn. Church, don't miss this. In verse 7, 
But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. If you want to maintain your joy, church, you need to surrender your pride. Surrender everything to him. All of those things that Paul said, some of them he had no control over, some of them he did have control over. All those things that he was doing, he said, I consider them a loss for the sake of Christ. He let go of the pride that he had. And if that wasn't enough, Paul takes it even a step further. And the rest of verse 8, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, you know how much I love word studies. We're going to do a little word study here. That word garbage is a very interesting word in the New Testament. You should understand this about this word. That's actually the only time that word is used in the entire New Testament. And you're going to learn a little Greek here. Ready? You're going to learn a little Greek. This is the word, skubalon. Skubalon. Say that with me. Skubalon. Skubalon. Now, that's a good word to learn. I'm going to tell you why. Skubalon is translated a lot of different ways. There it's translated garbage. I don't actually like that translation. It's translated rubbish. It's translated refuge. Probably the most accurate translation is the word dung. Can I, can I just be, be real with you? It's crap. <laughs> it, it's poop. All right? Now, the word that Paul is using is actually very offensive in the first century. And, and just to give you a paint you a picture, it would be the same equivalent if I stood up here and I said, you are a piece of crap, only I didn't say crap. All right? You guys would be like, what? What did the pastor just say? This is what this word is. So, so this week, when you hit your finger with a hammer instead of swearing, you can say, scoobalon. All right? Same effect. <laughs> Nobody will know what you say. You don't offend anybody. It's true. And, and I, almost said, I almost said the word, but I knew that if I did, I might distract and it might take away from that. But here's my point in saying this. Paul said, all those things that I have, all, all of my heritage, all of my upbringing, all my education, all of the things that I've achieved, you know what it is compared to Christ? It's a pile of crap. Talk about letting go of your pride, huh? And saying, hey, it's all about God. And look at what Paul says in verse 9. I love this verse. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Church, can I just put it real simple? You can have righteousness based on what you do, or you can have the righteousness that comes from Christ. You just can't have both. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, listen, I, I played that game. If you want to play that game, we can play that game. I got it figured out. I've got all this stuff. And you know what it is? To, to, to know Jesus, that is a pile of crap. And I gave that up. Because I could never earn righteousness on my own. No matter how hard I tried, no matter all the effort I do, and Jesus is standing right here saying what? It's already done. It's finished. Paul, you don't have to chase that anymore. You don't have to chase your pride you don't have to chase legalism. You just need to come to my feet and just lay it all down and receive the righteousness that comes from faith, not by the law. Church, can I just say something real, real personal? Some of us just need to lay it down today. If you've been chasing your own righteousness, you need to let go of that because it's exhausting. And God never intended you to live that way. And it's a great way to suck out our joy is live by legalism or hold on to our pride. But here's the third one, and here's what I really want you to understand today. How do we maintain our joy? You know, the first one is, like I said, we need to, let, we need to live by grace. We need to let go of our pride. But the third one is so important. We need to take hold of Christ. 
We need to take hold of Christ. I don't want to show hands, but if you're watching online, you can play along. You don't need to raise your hand, but I just want to ask a question just in your own heart. How many of you wish that you could be more like Christ? How many of you say, you know what, I, I, I sometimes struggle in my faith. I, I do, and, and I do, and, and I think that's okay to admit, to say, listen, I'm not where I wish I could be. I'm maybe better than I was, but I wish I could get more. And, and if that, you feel that way, if you felt that way, because I know I have, I want you to take comfort in verse 12. Look at what Paul writes. Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Isn't that a comfort? Here's Paul, right? Planner of all these churches, arrested for his faith, probably the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. And he's coming to the end of his life. He knows his life is about ready to be over. And he says, listen, church, I still don't think I have it all figured out yet. <laughs> I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Isn't that refreshing? To know that we need to continue to push on no matter what. I love that. And I've said it before. I'm probably the least qualified person to stand up here. If you would know about the things in my past in my life, you'd say, I can't believe you're a pastor. I get it. But, but I'm still pushing on. And I feel like I'm better than I was before, but man, I want to keep getting better. I want to keep growing. And, and I love this song. I don't know if you remember this growing up, but there was a song we used to sing in Sunday school. Maybe you guys sung this one too. It's a song called, He's Still Working On Me. Anybody remember that song? Now, I've been, I've been banned from singing in the microphone, so I won't do it anymore. If you're worried, just, I'm not going to be singing. But I want to read you the words because it's such a powerful song. This is what it says. It's a little kid song, but I love it. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. And this is my favorite part. How loving and patient he must be if he's still working on me. Isn't that cool, church? God is still working. We are still a work in progress. And how do we do that? Verse 12, finish it off. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Church, we are called to press on. We're not called to sit by. Our joy isn't going to be something that's passive. It's something that's active. We need to take hold of Christ Jesus. And I just want to illustrate this to you for a second. In my hand right now, I'm holding this microphone. Now, the human hand is an amazing thing. Think about that. Think about how God designed the human hand. We can grab and we can hold on to stuff. I have this microphone in my hand. This microphone is pretty important. Because if I don't have this microphone, not only can you not hear me, but nobody online can hear me either. It's an important thing I need to hold on to. But I have this other hand, don't I? And with this other hand, I can turn my notes. I can pick up my phone. I can hold on to it, can't I? But if I have my microphone in this hand, my phone in this hand, guess what? I'm kind of limited, aren't I? There's not a lot of stuff I can pick up. Here's my point in telling you this. In our lives, church, there's not a lot of things that we can hold. We think we're pretty talented. We think we have all these things that we could do. But, but in reality, there's only a couple things we can really truly hold on to at one time. And, and if I could just be honest and I could be real just to kind of make this point for you, I see a lot of Christians that are holding on like this. And, and, and there's a term for that that I call, I call them their double fisting. Now, I know that has another connotation, doesn't it, right, when you're double fisting, right? We're, we're going to redeem that one for Christ. We're going to take that one back and we're going to say, listen, I've seen a lot of Christians that double fist. Here's what I mean by that. We're called to hold on to Christ, aren't we? Right? And let's say this microphone is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to hold on to my relationship with Jesus Christ. But over here, <laughs> I'm going to grab onto something else. I'm going to hold on to that too. And I'm trying to do both of those things. You know what God wants us to do? God wants us to take Jesus with both our hands. 
And, and, and if we're holding on to Jesus with both our hands, am I kind of limited with what I can do? Uh-huh. <laughs> but what a good thing to hold on to, isn't it? Let, let, me, let me just put it to you like this. I'm going to hold on to Jesus, but I got to hold on to my past. You know, there's some hurts, there's some shame, there's some guilt, there's some things I did, there's some addictions. About, I just got to hold on to those. You know what my Bible says? If anyone is Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You can't hold on to both. Here's another one. I'm going to hold on to Jesus Christ, but I really need the approval of other people. I, I need to see how many likes and comments I can get on my social media. I need to make sure that my body stays the way it should stay. I, I need to make sure everybody in church knows that I'm here and I'm doing all these great things because I really need their approval. I, 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 need, I need to know that I'm doing well. I need that applause. If I don't get applauded, I, I get hurt and I get offended. So I need to hold on to that. So you know what my Bible says? If you're pleasing man, you can't please God. You got to pick one. You can either go for the approval of man or you can go for the approval of God. Which one are you holding on to, church? I'm going to hold on to God. And, and I've been pretty vulnerable with you guys. I've shared that. That's something that I struggle with. And, and one of the things that I've really recognized as a pastor, I like to be liked. It's, it's fun for me. I enjoy that. I, I, I enjoy approval. And it's really been something that I've struggled with. I actually had this happen this week. It's, it's funny um, how God does stuff like this. But I had somebody come up to me this week and tell me this person, and, and they wanted me to know this very important thing. They said, I want you to know this person hates you. <laughs> and you know what my response was? I, I, I just truth, I go, Tell them to join the club. <laughs> now, I didn't, think, I didn't say this part, but I thought in my head, like, yeah, they have a meeting Tuesdays at 3 o'clock. No, I didn't say that part. But, but that, like, two years ago, that would have destroyed me. I'd have been like, oh, why does this person hate me? What's going on? But, you know what? I know who I am. I know what God's called me to do. Is that going to offend people sometimes? Maybe. Am I, are they going to be hurt by that? Sometimes. Now, if there's something I've done, obviously, I need to go and make amends. But if somebody is not going to come to you and deal with it in an appropriate way, the way that God calls you to, I can't do anything with that, right? I can't hold on to that. I've got to let go of that. Do you see how that works? We can't, we can't hold on to both. We've got to hold on to Christ. How about this one? I want to hold on to Christ, but I want to hold on to my finances. Oh, isn't that money? We love it when we talk about money, right? Oh, oh God, you know, I don't know. 10%? Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't make it. I start with 5%. I don't know, God. I don't know if I can do that. Do you know what my Bible says? Test me on this. See what I can do with your 90%. Because I guarantee you, I can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. That's what we hold on to. We want to hold on to that or we want to hold on to God. How about this one? I want to hold on to God, but, but I, need, I need to work, worry about my position, my job, my income, my success, my, my financial gains, my 401k. I want to make sure that I'm okay with that. And you know what my God says? What if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? What are you holding on to, church? We're going to hold on to Christ. And if I haven't offended you yet, here's one that might do it. I want to hold on to Christ, but I cannot forgive what that person did to me. I just can't let it go. I, I, Pastor, you don't know what they did to me, and I can't, I can't forgive them. But you know what my Bible says? When you forgive other people, your Father in heaven will forgive you. If you can't forgive them, you're still holding on to this. Church, it's time for us to stop being double-fisted Christians. And it's time for us to take hold of Christ Jesus. And if you want to really maintain your joy, if you want to avoid being a one-hit wonder, this is a huge part. And, and I'll just say this next verse for me. Boy, I tell you what, as I've been going through Philippians, and I've been going through it a lot, and I'm sure you guys have been too. I hope you've been doing it. If you haven't been, start this week. It's not too late. Read it. 
A chapter a day will take you about less than five minutes, and you can go through the whole thing two times in one week. If you haven't started, please do. If you need that link again, let us know. We'll send it to you. We want to record it, not just for our numbers. We want to get it in God's word in your heart. But why am I telling you that? Because every time I've gone through Philippians, this verse has been the key verse for me. Through this whole series, through all of this, and I want to share it with you. It's in verse 13. And I've said this before, when Paul's writing this, what I felt this whole series is, if I were to write a letter to you as your pastor, as a church, this is what I want you to hear. And this would be the, the crux of it right here. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. I haven't arrived yet, church. But one thing I do, look at somebody and say one thing. One thing I do, forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Church, I'm playing this game to win. And not for my sake, not for the sake of Celebrate Church. I'm playing this game to win and I'm going to take hold of it because that's what God's called us to do. I'm going to take hold of Christ Jesus. You've heard me say this throughout this series, but I want to say it again. I'm so grateful for the first three years of this church. I'm so grateful for what God has done and, and how he's positioned us and all the things that have happened, the relationships, the opportunities, but I'm forgetting what's in the past. That's behind us now. And as your pastor, I am focused like a laser beam on pressing on ahead toward the goal to win the prize, which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's time, church. It's time to let go of whatever you got over here. I don't know what that is, but today, let it go. And I want you to grab hold, take hold of Christ Jesus. So then five years from now, 10 years from now, you can say, I'm still walking with God. I'm still following him because I've taken hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. So how do we maintain our joy? What do we need to do? This is what Paul says. We need to live by grace, not by legalism. It's not about all the things I need to do. Don't make a spiritual to-do list. It's what Christ has already done. How do we live by grace? Understanding that. We need to let go of our pride. Again, you can, you can either earn righteousness by yourself or you can accept what Jesus gives in free gift. You just can't do both. You got to pick one, church. And if I could just say it, one of the reasons why we struggle with loving people is if we're in that comparison game. You can't really love somebody until you realize who you are in Christ and realize all the hurt and all the pain that you've caused so why would I dare speak ill of another brother or sister? Why would I have to bring somebody down to make myself feel better? Look at what I've done to Christ. And that's when true love happens, is when you can really feel that way, when you let go of your pride. And that last part is take hold of Christ. We've been given two hands. They can do amazing things. But we can't hold on to Christ in one hand and try to hold on to our hurts and our pains over here or, or our finances or anything else like that. If you really want to have joy and you really want to maintain it, let go of that and take hold of Christ. Are you going to get it right? Probably not. <laughs> are you going to struggle? Uh-huh. Welcome home. You're in a great place. There's a lot of people in this room that are struggling right now, and, and I love you. And let's press on together to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Let's pray. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be kept pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness 
that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God, I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. I thank you that he loved this church so dearly that he wrote this letter that we can continue to, to learn from and glean from God. And God, I thank you that he felt it necessary to dedicate an entire chapter of this letter, a large section, to helping them safeguard their joy because he understood the same truth that as soon as we let our joy go, that's when our faith follows. God, I pray that each one of us will live by the grace that you've given, not by the rules that we try to live by or, or the rules that other people have tried to apply to our lives to have faith in you, God, that it's a gift of grace. God, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice, whether in this room or watching online or listening to our podcast, who has not yet surrendered their life to your grace, I pray that right now would be that moment. That they could say, I'm now going to live by grace, not by legalism anymore. And I'm going to surrender that to you. And God, that's going to require us to let go of our pride. God, it's nothing we can do, nothing we can earn. It's a free gift that you've given to us. And God, I pray that we would receive that by faith. And in doing so, not only are our sins forgiven, but other people's sins don't seem that big a deal anymore, do they? We won't feel the need to, to live in legalism. We won't feel the need to tear other people down, God. We'll, we'll know who we are in you, and our confidence can come from that. And God, the last step in that is to take hold of you. God, maybe there's somebody in this room that said, yes, I've been living for Christ, but you know what? I've got another hand over here that I'm trying to hold on to something else. And God, they've been playing a spiritual tug of war that's eventually just going to tear their faith apart. And I've seen it so many times. So God, I pray if there's anybody here today that's holding on to something like that, that today would be the day they just let that go and they grab onto you. Not that we figured it all out. Not that we're going to get it right every time. But that we're going to press on towards that one thing. Strain ahead towards the prize that you have called us for, Jesus. And it's the most important thing we could do. God, I thank you for that opportunity today. And, and again, if anybody here needs to pray that, as, as we're praying right now, God, that that would be the case. They would make that decision. They would make that commitment. God, I thank you and I praise you and ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. Or you can join us live online from our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, Celebrate Yankton. If you'd like to grow more in your faith, check out one of our life groups that meet throughout the week. For a list of days and times, please visit our website, yankton.church. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share with others. 